Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Amazing, amazing day this morning, wasn't it? Just so wonderful. And uh, I just want to echo what... um, uh, what's your name, uh, Hannah? Um, <laughs> and uh, so what Hannah uh, said, if you have uh, first fruits and you'd like us to pray with you, uh, we'd love to do that. Uh, so come and speak to myself and Cheryl or James and Laura who are sitting there. They're invisible at the moment. Um, they have invisible ink on, and, uh, but they are, they'll pop back. They have uh, four children, uh, seven and under, and... Uh, it doesn't, that doesn't need any more explaining, really, does it? And uh, so that's quite, it's a challenge, uh, pastoring with small children. Uh, but uh, we're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, at least, uh, at least one of them's on casters, so. <laughs> For easier movement. You may have noticed we've, um, our cafe is nearly done over in the corner. So everything, everything's sort of set there. We still have some, uh, we still, we haven't finished the cabinets and um, actually the boiler, which we had fitted, we bought this new boiler. It's like the, a boiler, it's like nearly 400 quid. The boiler was nearly as expensive as the coffee machine. And, uh, but the coffee machine is secondhand and the boiler is, is new, but um, it leaks. So it's going, it, it's going back. So, but uh, we can do that. Uh, we can do that. Um, so hopefully next week we'll be. Do you think we'll be, we'll be done for next week? Before, yeah, we we can get because I can pick that up during the week. So cool, little uh, <laughs> administration there. So, uh, but I'm really excited. I'm just looking forward to um, turning on the coffee machine, seven and a half kilowatt coffee machine, so that I can make myself a coffee and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be the most expensive coffee. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but it's really, it's, uh, it, it's just really exciting. And uh, we also had offered, because once, we d- once that area is done, we won't be opening the cafe downstairs uh, on a Sunday. Obviously, Children's Church and everything operate down there. Uh, the Chinese Church will still operate from, have their teas. Um, they don't, don't do coffee, of course. Uh, so they have tea and uh, mooncake. And uh, uh, so they'll have that. That'll still be operating down there. But we are going to rip out down there and rebuild it. Um, I've been working with Andy. He's come up with some marvelous plans. And we've just been working through how that's going to work. So downstairs. But um, so and, uh, and then we were offered, I don't even know whether this will happen, but we were offered um, the coffee machine that um, was, came out of Jamie Oliver's uh, <laughs> So and I and he just said, "Oh, it's bright red," and I went. I didn't care after that. I just I want it. And uh, so <laughs> I don't. I'm not even interested in the price. So you know, just believe Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean these these things are a fraction of the price. That that coffee machine there was ten percent of its new value. Ten percent. And it was completely reserviced as well. So that is so good. So Pastor Julian spoke a word this morning, which I feel like we want to continue. I had prepared a message uh, for tonight, but it was one of those messages which sort of sat in me like, 
I might preach it one day, but I wasn't convinced I was going to preach it tonight anyway. And uh, so I came to church this morning knowing that whatever Julian preached on, he would ignite a fire inside of me that would just easily enable me to preach whatever God was speaking about. And he said something this morning which uh, really ignited in my heart about how God is taking us from the old into the new. How many of you know that that is true? We are passing from one phase of church life into another. He, he prophesied something. Actually, when he prayed over Cheryl and I this morning, when we were doing the first fruits, and he prayed over um, the, uh, the uh, 70... I haven't even spoken to him about the uh, 21 years um, the um, three times seven. I, I haven't spoken to him about how we, we've, the seven years are over. That's what he said, wasn't it? And uh, he said, seven years are over. He doesn't even know seven years are over. He, he, he doesn't, I've not talked dates with him. He wouldn't know. I mean, Julian doesn't even know how many times he's been up here. Uh, and uh, he barely knows what day of the week it is. And, and uh, so, but he prophesied seven, uh, seven years are over. And they are. Because we are, we are literally entering into a new um, period of, of um, after 21 years, this is the new, new year. And so I know that God is doing an extraordinary thing, amen, in this, uh, in this church and for this season. And so we're entering into something which is new. You know, one of the great sort of metaphors of a Christian life is often framed around entering a promised land or a a land of abundance. And, and we spoke about how, Pastor Julian spoke about how we, we're entering into from the place of Gilgal, which, is, which was a place of covenant, a place where God sort of um, really um, just met with the children of Israel. But, but something he spoke about really hit me, and it was the 12 stones that they put into the Jordan and the 12 stones they took out. And it's not something that I've ever preached on before, but it was something that it was kind of like this flash and it was like, this is what God is speaking to us. So I want to speak about the 12 stones in and the 12 stones out. Do you know, I discovered actually that there's a church in, in America called 12 Stones. And, and I wonder whether it was sort of average weight. Um, <laughs> where do you get the 12 stones? Average weight of the church. It was a, and then I realized it's America, so it's unlikely. And uh, so <laughs> that's naughty, isn't it? That's not, but <laughs> and uh, so there is, uh, yeah, there's this church. It's actually one of the largest churches in America and certainly one of the largest, fastest growing churches. And, but uh, that's irrelevant to my point. <laughs> I don't even know how I've gone to that. But there are 12 stones and there were 12 stones put um, put in and there were 12 stones taken out of the River Jordan. So what we're going to do this morning, uh, sorry, tonight, is we're going to... Where's Andy? I'll blame him for that one. We, um, I'm going to read the whole of Joshua chapter 4. I kind of feel like I've gone back to my strict Baptist days. And, uh, and any of you who were brought up in a denominational church, you would always have a whole chapter read before the preach. And if the whole chapter hadn't been read, then the word of God wasn't being preached. And uh, so, so we're going to read the whole chapter. 
Joshua chapter 4, and it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan and that the Lord had spoken to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe and command them saying, take for yourself 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the place where the priest's feet stood firm and you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God uh, in the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you shall take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in times coming saying, what do these stones mean? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan. As the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid down there. Then Joshua set 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the ark and the covenant stood and they are there to this day. I'm guessing they know that, right? Because it's in the river. (laughs) I don't know if they had divers go down and check. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people. According to all that Moses had commanded Joshua and the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About four 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle onto the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel and they feared. Oh no, I've missed my place. Verse, where was I? Verse 14. Was I? What verse was I on? 14. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of Israel and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua commanded the priests saying, come up from the Jordan. It came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord came from the midst of the Jordan that the soles of the priests feet touched dry land that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Now the people who came came from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. They camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And these 12 stones which they took from the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. Then the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before as uh, before us until we cross over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord that is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. An extraordinary story. We can spend a lot of time in Joshua and uh, just really understand that. See, Joshua, Joshua's name means God of salvation. 
And, and I think it's really important for us to know that Joshua was a type of Christ. And he follows Moses who represents the law. So you have the law, which is the old covenant, and you have Christ who brings forth the new covenant. And in Moses and Joshua, you have the law, and then you have Joshua who represents Christ. So, so Joshua represents a, a salvation, a setting free of the people. And so when Moses has died, Joshua... He picks up the mantle of leadership and responsibility and an anointing is upon him to set the children of Israel free and lead them from the desert to the promise. And you know, we have to understand God is taking us from desert to promise. There is a desert in our lives and we go through seasons of desert, but what is always the other side of the desert is the land of promise. But in between those two spaces is a river and the river is the place of change and transformation. And so we have to understand that that God leads us into a place. And when we're in the desert, we need to find who's going to lead us to the promise. You know, what happens is when we're in desert, we try and solve the problem of desert life. Desert life is limited water supply. It's limited food supply. It's it's limited covering. Everything is limited. Everything is dry. Everything is a test. Every day it can kill you. It's desert life. Sometimes we go through a desert life and we feel like every day we just don't know whether we're going to make it because there are so many things out there against us. How many of you know, I'm talking metaphorically here, not physically. If that's happening to you physically, please call the police. <laughs> I can't help. It's, you know, it's a police issue. <laughs> I mean, I can hide you or something, but I mean, still call the police. But what happens is that in our lives, that there are issues that go on in our life. When we feel like we're going through a desert, this is where we need Jesus to lead us out. What happens is that we often try and lead ourselves out because when we come to a point where we're trying to process change, we try and process the issues that we want changed. And the reason we try and do that is because we don't have within our heart and within our mind the fullness of what God wants to do. The problem with living in a desert is you cannot imagine, conceive or think what it's like living in the land of plenty. We were talking in the car on the way in about people um, who... um, we were talking, Andy was just talking about people in Romania. Um, and uh, have we got any Romanians in the house? Manuel's not here. Where's it? Yes. And uh, you were born in, were you? Wow. So many people, there are people in Romania. You would know many people who, and uh, probably also in Hungary as well, never seen the ocean. A lot of people never seen the ocean. Until, I mean, unless you've traveled. And so people, I remember being in northern India, And there are people, not only they've never seen the ocean, not a chance of them ever seeing it. And so to talk about the ocean, the actual, I mean, you can show them a picture, but showing them a picture is, you know, it's this big. 
and the ocean is limitless. When you stand on the edge of the sea and you feel it. Now, we're so used to the sea. We drove, you know, we, we drive in and Cheryl drove past. She went down the beachway on the way to church this morning. I just went through town. We were racing. And uh, so, and uh, Cheryl went by the beach. And we're just so used to it. You drive, you look out in the beautiful ocean. Aberdeen has one of the most beautiful beaches. And, and, just the, and it's so often still. For, for the North Sea, it always amazes me, just this beautiful calm and, and just amazing sunrise and the, and the light and just the, the play of light um, as, as it sort of just bounces off the clouds and it's just such an amazing atmosphere and we're used to that. But when you've got somebody who's never seen it, to get the feeling of it, to not just see it but to know it, you can't describe that stuff, can you? Now... Here's the thing. When God wants to take you from desert to promised land, he wants to take you to something that you just can't get the feel of. So what we do is we try and imagine a better life. But what we imagine is just a marginal, better desert life. Because that's all we know. We don't imagine a promised life. We just imagine a better desert life. It's a desert with a better tent. It's a desert with a bigger water tank. It's got more camels. I don't know. I don't know what you'd have with you in a desert. I've ridden a camel through a desert and... uh, Ugly things. And I lo- actually, I love camels. I think they're, they're just the funniest creatures. But oh my word, <laughs> just bolshy and, and rude. And uh, <laughs> just do whatever they like. And uh, just imagining and owning a camel and then it walks off in the middle of the night and you spend the next day looking for it. It's like... What a rubbish life that would be. And I suppose if you own enough camels, the chances are you're going to find one of them, isn't it? So maybe that's the being richer in the desert means you have more camels, more chance of finding a camel, and then you can carry on your journey. I don't know. I don't know how it works in the desert. But all I know is that a better desert life is still rubbish. So when we try and process change, we try all we can imagine is a better desert life. But we have to look to our saviour, Jesus Christ, who leads us like Joshua. He is the Joshua of our life. In other words, he's going to take us through the Jordan. The Bible says, I will look to the hills from where my help comes from. You know, there is always a leader in your life. We like to think that we're leading our life. We, like, we, we teach our people, you must lead your life. If you don't lead your life, someone else will lead it for you. But here's the thing, if Christ leads your life, but if Christ isn't leading your life, Facebook probably is. Yeah. <laughs> society probably is. Influence of society is probably leading your life. It's determining your emotions, your feelings, your attitudes. We've noticed how today's society has dramatically changed. Their values of this generation has changed dramatically from 20 years. How did that happen? Well, it just happened because of the way information is transformed and people are being led by it. 
Their, the assumed sensibilities of older generations is not in the younger generation because they're sourcing information from another place. Yes. Being led by different information. All right? But here's the thing. We are all to be led by Jesus Christ. And if we are not led by him, we'll be led by somebody else. It's not possible to lead yourself. There will always be someone leading you. If you're not being led by Christ, somebody else is leading you. And Joshua was the one who led the children of Israel through the promised land. Now, I really believe that many people feel they tend to lead, uh, tend to feel like they're being led by um, what they feel is right. I've had a lot of people saying, I I just feel this is right. And it never ceases to amaze me. Here's the thing, right? You can't make up truth. I know I've said this before, but you've got to, you, you just can't do it. You can't invent stuff and, and agree with yourself and then say it's true. Yeah. Just can't do it. I mean, it's good to think stuff through, right? But it must be weighed and measured mm. against wisdom and those who can critically say, yeah, that's rubbish. <laughs> Are you with me here? Yeah. See, see, the word of God has been weighed and measured over thousands of years and been consistently proven to be true. The truth of the gospel has been consistently proven to be true. You can't rethink it and go, well, I think. Because that's just daft in any other. If if I was an engineer, James, if I was an engineer and I I went to work with an engineer and I came to work with you in an engineering company and I just said in the board meeting as you're working out a project and you've got to move a rig from there to there. I don't know anything else. I'm, I've you know, stretched all my engineering knowledge in that one statement. That's, that's as far as I know. I probably don't even know whether they do that, right? We're going to move a rig from here to there and uh, we're going to reposition it and, and there's going to be need, need stuff, right? And, uh, so, and I just go, you know what? I don't know about all that, it, all that mathematics. I feel... That would be, I wouldn't even finish the sentence. Yeah. I would be out the door. Yeah. They, wouldn't just, they wouldn't just be laughing at me. They'd be, they'd sack me and laugh at me. <laughs> <laughs> that would, wouldn't they? They would, they would sack me, laugh at me, and they'll be laughing at me for the rest of the year. It would be the funniest thing they ever thought. <laughs> Who was that clown that just came in? <laughs> and yet we in our feelings, feel about far weightier issues and making up stuff about the kingdom of God upon which there has been a generation upon generation tried and proven truth in the kingdom of God, the gospel and the doctrine of the word of God which has been laid down by our fathers and forefathers before us. We don't feel stuff. We get revelation on it. We get an understanding on it. And then we weigh it. We measure it. We bring it before our leaders and pastors and leaders. And we talk it through and we test it. Are you with me here? But we don't feel stuff. We don't feel truth. I might feel I ought to go and speak to someone. That's not feeling truth. That's being led by the spirit to respond to a now moment. That doesn't shift or change doctrine. 
Is that all right? Can I, can I say that? That was, that was for free, that little bit. That wasn't in my notes. So <laughs> but I want you to understand that when Jesus is leading your life, he will always lead you to the Jordan. And the Jordan is the place of transformational change. The Jordan, transformational change. We are going in this church through transformational change. It's a place of change. And transformational change, I always find, is extraordinary. Because here's the thing about the gospel. When you give your life to Jesus, everything changes and nothing changes. Everything changes and nothing changes. When Peter was touched by the Holy Spirit, everything changed and nothing changed. We always know. We, I mean, Peter, Peter is kind of, I feel sorry for Peter because he's, he's kind of like, he's one of the great heroes of, of the Bible, but it's like his underwear is on display on the washing line for us or everyone to see, isn't it? It's like, wow, what big pants he wears. It's that kind of exposure, isn't it? It's like everybody just knows Peter and you know all his, you know all his personal kind of like just his angst. And all of that personal, so the sort of stuff the rest of us would keep a little bit private. Everybody knows Peter's issues, right? And here's the thing with Peter. Peter was like, he was just, he would just respond. He was, he was strong and he would just speak up and speak his mind and, and say whatever he thought. And, and uh, he got it wrong on a number of occasions and Jesus had to slap him down. And, and he's still just this, this, personality that was just big and filled the room and and that was Peter and and it he was broken in the midst of all of that his personality led him to that place of brokenness and his Jordan was the place of Galilee where Jesus brought him the fish to the beach and he he led him through Jesus led him through that place of transformation. And then he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's going through his Jordan experience there. And there he is, a changed man. Yet when everyone's baptized in the Holy Spirit and the crowd turn up and go, what the flip is going on here? It's Peter, the same man. (laughs) Who spoke up? The man is always going to speak up. Peter, here's the thing about your life. Everything changes, nothing changes. The who you are, The who you are never changes. The hurt of who you are, the the, the brokenness of who you are, changes. Because what God does in your life when he changes you, is he perfects who he called you to be. He called you to be someone. It's written upon your life. Your personality is a gift from God. Peter's personality got him into more trouble than anything else. It was his personality. It was, it was what just came out of him. And that was his personality. And that got broken. And yet it was his personality that God wanted to use to be a, a voice into that generation. And a voice to all generations in the kingdom of God. It was his personality. Everything changed. Nothing changed. When God moves in your life, everything changes, nothing changes. And so Jesus takes us through the Jordan. The Jordan is the place where Jesus is transformed from the carpenter to the Messiah. Now, he always was the Messiah, 
He was the promise of the Messiah, but he, he, he was transformed in the Jordan. It's transformational. And so God takes us through to the Jordan. And it's in this Jordan that we come to this place of 12 stones. And 12 stones are significant. 12 speaks of perfection and it speaks of completeness. All right. And so I want you, this is amazing. The children of Israel, they carry the Ark of the Covenant, which is the promise of God's grace. It's an amazing, they carry it into the midst of the Jordan. The waters dry up way up the, ro- the, uh, way up the road, way up the river. <laughs> Jordan dries up way up the river and it, it, it all banks up up there somewhere. It's sort of in a mound, it says. Now, I don't know whether that means in a big sort of heap like that or whether it just floods everything. I don't know what that means, but, but it, it, the river dries up. And they take the Ark of the Covenant through and they pick up 12 stones which represent the completeness and the promise of what God is doing, what God is doing in children of Israel's life. This is the place of new covenant. This is the place of new change. This is your new calling, your new ministry. And they pick up the 12 and then they pick up 12 stones and they place them into the river. And the 12 stones they pick up And put in the river represent who they were. Here's the amazing thing. God will always enable you to pick up who you're going to be before he calls you to put down who you were. You give your life to Jesus when you're a sinner, not when you're perfect. He comes to you when you're broken, not when you're whole. He doesn't say, get whole and I'll meet you. He says, pick me up and I'll help you put down. You've got to understand that 12 is completeness. And he's saying, I'm getting you, you are now going to pick up a complete new calling. And you're going to put down a complete old life. You're putting down the brokenness of your desert life. You're putting down the brokenness of your past disappointments. You're putting down the brokenness and the, the failure, the disappointment, the heartache, all of the, 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 just the angst of your own life. You're taking the 12 stones that represents the fullness of who you were and you're placing them in the river. But you've already picked up. Twelve glorious stones of promise. You see, when you can pick up, when you've picked up the perfection of what Christ has for your life, it is much, much easier to put down the completeness of who you were. And the transformation that is going on in this place is we are picking up one thing and we're putting down another. We're picking up the promise of an abundant vision, a vision of provision, of supply, of breakthrough, of leading into promised land, 
of the building of God's kingdom, the raising of men and women into the ministry of call of God. You've got to understand, there is a call of God that rests on people when they come into this house. There's something unique about this place. You've got to understand what that uniqueness is. You know what that is? In this place, the mantle that God called INC Movement for is to be able to lay hands on those who come in and for them to walk in the calling and destiny of God upon their life and go out and do great wonders for Him. Not just for for INC, but for churches across the globe. I know that God has called this house to be ascending, a training and sending house. We have trained many, many. One of the things that pastors from around great leaders of churches, sometimes the thousands come in and go, you've got so many great leaders. And I just look around and I go, I've sort of shrugged my shoulders because it's always been like this. You know what it is? It's the gift that's on the house. Now here's the thing. There's something about who we always are. But there's another thing about what we're always going through. We take that stone. We put it in the river. Why? Because we've already picked up the stone of the promise of what we're going to be walking in. And here's what happens with 12 stones. The 12 stones that go in get forgotten. The Bible says those 12 stones are still there to this day. I love that. They're under the river. Who knows? <laughs> the river, they were there, the river flooded, that's it, end of story. We assume, we're, let's assume they're really big stones and the river hasn't washed them away. But it doesn't matter where they are, whether they're in the pile or whether they've been washed away. They've been washed away. As, as our sin is washed as far as the east is from the west, so the things of our old are washed away. God removes from us the burden of what we are does not come back and bite us it doesn't we do not get weighed down by it. here's the thing that happens with our life is that we try and and pick up the promise of what god has called us to be but but we don't quite put down the stones of who we were and we end up being dragged backwards being weighed down by stones of of who we were but if we put them down then we're no longer held by it because here's the thing the stones that we pick up are not stones we carry around they're stones which established a memorial a new start point because a new start point determines an ultimate direction where you start from and when you start from a new place, when, when I was a cabinet maker, uh, I remember my father training me on how to use a bandsaw. And uh, we would have a bandsaw and we would use it um, for um, just doing fine. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't one of these enormous bandsaws that rips through, um, rips up um, timber for planks. It was, a, it was a small bandsaw which we used for, for just um, making the uh, pattern feet. And just for making out just the little brackets. And, and here's the thing. You start in the wrong place on that pencil line. It's already wrong. <laughs> and there's only one way to correct it. It's not trying to correct it. If you get the pencil, you've got a piece of wood. You've got a bandsaw. You've got this blade that's just 
rumbling around, right? And you get your piece of wood and you put it in and you've got to follow a pattern. So you put the pencil and you just like this and you're just moving it around and you're just following the pencil line, right? And here's the thing. When, when you, when you, when you, if you start wrong, you try and correct it by just like that. The whole thing's wrong. The only way to correct it is to come back to the start point. And when God establishes a, a Gilgal, a place where stones are laid, he establishes a place of perfection, that whenever we find ourselves going off, we have a place of 12 stones, a place of completeness to come back to. What that means is regardless of how many times we mess up, like the children of Israel did at ALA, they, didn't, they messed up, but they didn't mess up. Why? Because they always had 12 stones. Yeah. They always had the place of perfection and completeness that stood as a measure for their whole life. Yeah. Let's stand up, shall we? Come on, let's lift up our hands. Let's begin to lay before God everything. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.